She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The agenda I will lay out this evening is not a Republican agenda or a Democrat agenda. It's the agenda of the American people. We must reject the politics of revenge, resistance, and retribution, and embrace the boundless potential of cooperation, compromise, and the common good. Now is the time for Congress to show the world that America is committed to ending illegal immigration and putting the ruthless coyotes, cartels, drug dealers, and human traffickers out of business. To defend the dignity of every person, I am asking Congress to pass legislation to prohibit the late-term abortion of children who can feel pain in the mother's womb. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, yeah. Find out more about what we do on Twitter and Instagram at Stacy on the right. Hit the follow button. Share it with your friends. The way the show grows is organically through you guys saying, you know what? I like this. And as one caller said last hour, turning your friends and family onto it, following on Instagram or Twitter, whichever mode is your favorite. We're all over the place, YouTube. And we do that because we know it, some people just don't they don't do Facebook. And I, am, I get it. I totally get it. If I wasn't already so entrenched, I'd probably be right there with you. Then there are people who don't do YouTube. So we just try to make sure that we have something available to you on all of those spaces so you can pick your poison and plug in and you're good to go. Uh, poison being a euphemism for what we're doing here, which is awesome. So now, second hour of the show. We have a great guest for you, Curtis Houck. He's a managing editor for Newsbusters. You know, we love Newsbusters because they watch all the TV that we can't watch because we have lives, and they keep track of the mentions and the subject matter and the topics that the media avoids covering. And I, I did have, uh, you know, some interesting thoughts about um, some of the superlatives that the president used last night, and I want to get to that. But first, I want to go to the phones. And I love it when people hold over from hour one. I love that. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, let's first go to Scott. Scott, thanks for calling in today. Thank you so much. Um, just real quick, I'm curious if anyone else noticed that when representatives would start applauding both uh, Republican and Democrat, Nancy Pelosi would hold up her hand behind the president and kind of wave the Democrats down, like stop applauding. <laughs> if you, if you, well, if you look when the president turns right at one point to face the right side of the well, and she clearly does it several times throughout his his speech to tell him, hey, 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 you know, simmer down. He doesn't need these applause. He doesn't need her support. Regardless, I guess of what they're thinking about what he's saying. They're like, you know, clearly what he's saying is making sense, and it sounds really good, regardless of what side of the aisle I'm on, but I've got our uh, our brainless leader, Nancy mm -hmm. Pelosi, up front telling us to, to simmer down and, and not support the president. I didn't notice that, and it might have been because I was so busy eating grapes and brie and spreading my <laughs> little tiny crackers with cheese, and but I, I, I did notice her kind of looking like she literally looked like she was mouthing things to people at one point and there was so much to take Absolutely. in it, it was like a sporting event you know how it is when you even even if you don't go live if you're watching on tv sometimes a football game or a basketball game there's so much to take in because you're watching the crowd and you're watching the game and you can miss stuff and I feel like the state of the union was like that like we could almost because it was an hour we could almost go back and watch it again tonight and catch a whole bunch of stuff that we missed especially the reactions that you're talking about it wouldn't surprise me at all. In fact, if you say that's what you saw, I'm pretty sure that's what you saw because she is a control freak and she doesn't want people having their natural reaction. She wants them to behave in the plan that she laid out beforehand because I'm sure she told them he's going to try to get you to agree with him on things and we can't let him have even one inch. We can't let him win. Um, but I do think people have a natural like I saw. Uh, did you see Debbie Wasserman Schultz? She was standing up when the people in white were sitting down. Did you see that? It was about, yes. Uh, yes, I did. what was the subject? What were they talking about? Honestly, I'm going to have to go back and watch it a second time. I, I can't remember yeah, what I the subject was, but she was standing up. 
it, clapping. And some, some Democrats who weren't in white were also standing up clapping. I think it was about the jobs numbers for um, African-Americans, Hispanics, and Asians. All of those groups are having higher employment or, you know, it, it, the, the unemployment rates are really low and they're historic lows. And I think she was standing up for that, which is kind of, I mean, that's good, actually. Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, you know, it's not, it's not what's coming out of the mouth um, at, the, at the front of the room. And, and Nancy Pelosi, so they're not going to stand by and, and applaud it unless she gives her blessing to it. Yeah, I think that's funny. Well, you know what? Thank you for pointing that out and for calling the show today. Have a great day, Scott. All right, let's go to Jerry. Thank you so much, Jerry, for calling the show. Hey, Stacey, how are you today? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I was just going to, uh, my three thoughts real quick were... Okay. First thing, I think he seriously should have just dropped the mic at the end of that speech. <laughs> That's good. That's it. Done. We're good. Um, it was one of my most favorite presidential speeches I think I've ever sat in front of and listened to. Mm, and too. then I, um, I made my 15-year-old sit down with me and watch it. And he reluctantly did it. It was quite a bit of argument with it. And um, But before it was over with he was he loved it he was so excited and so glad so i think it's important that we get our kids involved you know we listen to the to the asa radio in the car mm. every day and he listens to sandy in the morning we catch you in the afternoon on the way home so he hears it but i just find it very important that you need to hear it from the mouth of and not just take opinions of a lot of times too so uh, that really is good, good advice yeah, I'm uh, Jerry, I'm glad you're sharing that. I think it's important what you're saying there. And we do the same thing at our house. Um, I try to find a balance because I am so politically, you know, that this is my job. My husband is not as, he's he's conservative, but he's not as, you know, he, he reads news stories, he keeps up with the news, but he's can't he can't be as involved not as I am. But he definitely, like, if there's a, an issue and it comes up at dinner, sometimes the kids will say, Mom, I saw a story because they watch their own channels on YouTube, their own their own hosts that they like. And they'll say, oh, I saw this story. What did you think about it? Did you talk about this on your show? I'm like, oh, yeah, or no, I haven't actually covered it. What do you think? You'd be amazed at how much they pick up when you're just, you're basically laying the table. You're saying, you know, we got Sandy Rios in the morning. We got, you know, afternoon programming, AFR, and you're letting them hear that. And then that just kind of informs their perspective and they make up their own mind. But it's, I think it's a brilliant way of getting some of it into them because they're going to get some news and information anyway, so you might as well make it from the Christian worldview. And we do that so well here at AFR. I think Sandy Rios' program is outstanding, and it's really not about what I think because she's been on the air and been successful on her radio show for a very long time, and that's because she provides great content. And we have that all day long here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And so I'm really excited that, um, that you're doing that. Thank you so much for doing that. So now I want you to hear some audio. And this is super, super telling. After last night, speaking of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she says that President Trump is rejecting socialism because he feels himself losing on the issues. Now, I don't know how she gets that from what we heard last night. I heard a president who was very sure and strong about how things are going under his presidency. She heard someone who's running away from socialism because his stuff doesn't work. I don't know how she got that, but here she is. It's number five. Well, I think I think that he needs to do it because he feels like he feels himself losing on the issues. Every single policy proposal that we have adopted and presented to the American public has been overwhelmingly popular, even some with a majority of Republican voters supporting supporting what we're talking about. When we talk about a 70% marginal tax rate on incomes uh, over $10 million, 60% of Americans approve it. 70% of Americans believe in improved and expanded Medicare for all. A very large amount of Americans believe that we need to do something about climate Climate change and that it is an existential threat to ourselves and to our children. And so I think he sees himself losing on the issues. He sees himself losing on the wall and on the wall on the southern border. And he needs to grasp at an ad hominem attack. And this is his way of doing it. But what we really need to realize that what is happening is that this is an issue of authoritarian regime versus democracy. Mm -hmm. And in order for him to 
try to, you know, dissuade or throw throw people off off the scent of the trail, um, he has to really make and confuse the public. And I think that that's exactly what he's trying to do. Okay, look, (laughs) we know that the president was not trying to confuse people last night. If anything, he was so even keeled and down to earth. He he literally he numbed down his his presentation style because, you know, he's much more bombastic. And I just think it's so interesting that Pastor Norman, he was highlighting that when he was giving his, you know, analysis of what he saw last night. Pastor Norman picked up on it, too. I I felt like we were kind of playing off of it, too, last night when we were talking. It's it's a sentiment that I've heard repeated over and over again that the presentation style that the president brought about last night was clearly intended to remove. So in other words, you you lessen yourself so the message can rise up. And this is a speaking technique that experts use where sometimes you want a speech to be as much about you, the presenter, as you do about the content. And so the two dovetail together and you can be pointed and expressive and it helps elevate the message when you do that. Other times, when you're speaking to an audience that's not as friendly to you, you have to basically shrink back the presenter and let the information be the star. That's what we saw last night from President Trump. And and again, if he'd had a different presentation or if the content wasn't good, I would have said that. And I actually did an interview on, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it right now. And I'll, I'll look it up here for you while, while, while we're talking. I was on with Rick Unger, who he, he happens to be a pretty hardcore Democrat, but he's really well accomplished. And his claim to fame for me personally is that he taught me how to ride the subway in New York City because I was going to um, actually I was doing the Megyn Kelly file back when she was on Fox News. She had an audience panel and I'd been invited to participate. And it was when the police brutality was a huge issue and Black Lives Matter was protesting across the country. And so I flew to New York to be on the Kelly file. And during the day before my actual hit at Fox, I went over to Newsmax back when when they had studios in New York City. And I hung out at Newsmax for the day and I did like four of their shows, just like panels. And while I was there, I did a program that Rick Unger used to have on, uh, on Newsmax. And so that was my first time meeting him. But we'd actually met, actually, it wasn't my first time. Let me correct that. We met the year before at Talker's. And we were heading over to Newsmax and he taught me how to ride the subway that time. So I, I met him again and was on his program again that next year uh, for the Kelly file. But be that as it may, he taught me how to ride the subway. So he has um, a, a really good program that he does. It's it's a podcast. It's called The Pod Complex with Rick Unger, uh, Real Talk 910 AM. And it's it's a show that he actually does with Michael Steele, I believe. It's interesting. Um, Michael Steele is sometimes the co-host, but it's Rick Unger's podcast. And we were on today, not because, um, not because we agree on a lot, except that we agree that each of us is much more open to discussing things from the other perspective. I love to hear Rick's analysis because he's an economist and he's very, very smart on the economy. He doesn't agree with President Trump, but he doesn't have Trump derangement syndrome, which means that he and I can talk. And we can, dis- we can discuss President Trump. We can talk about different issues. And, and that's what we did this morning. But it was something interesting uh, that he was talking about the Democrats. He is a Democrat. And he says that, you know, the, the Democrats are losing with working class voters. And I pointed out that it's not so much that they're losing with them as that they have some people in their party who despise them. And he said, well, you know, that's not all Democrats. And I said, sure, it's not. But it's some of the biggest mouthpieces say the most horrible things about white people. And when you talk about white people like that, it turns them off and makes them think there's nothing that you have for them in your platform, your party to, to offer. And so not like I'm trying to help the Democrats win votes here, but we were discussing uh, the, this allegation that the president lies all of the time because he talked about his inauguration crowd size being so great. And because last night he said uh, they'd cut more regulations than any other president in the entirety of their term. Now, I don't remember that part of the speech. I'm telling you, it was It was pandemonium in that living room. We were having so much fun. But I don't think that those are important enough issues for us to deem the president a liar, as opposed to he's very flowery in his descriptions of his accomplishments. But there are more important issues to discuss. When we get back, we'll have Curtis Howe of Newsbusters. Stay right there. 
ministry of preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby and I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. One of the hot ideas in the progressive world is the Green New Deal. It's a term reminiscent of FDR's New Deal of the 1930s, but is even bolder in its approach. For the next year or so, we will hear Democratic candidates talk about it and perhaps even include it in the 2020 Democratic platform. If people take a moment to sit down and read it, they would reject it. But since most of us don't have the time, let me summarize two key points. First, the plan would cut military spending by at least half and withdraw U.S. troops from overseas. Let me give you the numbers. We have 1.3 million active duty troops, another 865,000 reserves, and another 680,000 civilian employees. Cutting spending by at least half would put at least a million military personnel out of work. And also, do we really think withdrawing troops from South Korea or the Middle East is a good idea? Second, the plan would require the eventual elimination of all fossil fuels and even nuclear power. Natural gas produces 32% of America's energy. Oil and liquid natural gas produces an additional 28%. Coal provides nearly 18% and nuclear power produces another 10%. In about a decade, we're supposed to replace 88% of America's current energy sources. Americans might also want to examine the history of the New Deal. General Goldberg reminds us that FDR campaigned to fight the Great Depression with industrial policies and a militarized workforce. The New Deal then, and certainly the Green New Deal now, would have to increase government power over people and their liberties. Some politicians might like the sound of a Green New Deal, but I can assure you that you wouldn't like what these policies would do to you and your lifestyle. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I I don't know what kind of weather you're experiencing. Apparently in D.C. it's like 60 degrees. Here in the Midwest, we are experiencing 30 degrees and rain. But before I get to complaining, I have to remember that we had negative 24. And so I'm fine with it. (laughs) I was outside today like it was nobody's business. And I will be outside again. I will no longer be housebound, even though the sun is not out. Because I've seen negative 24 and I stared it in the face and survived to tell the tale another day. So, you know, uh, we're going to live. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Curtis Houck, Managing Editor for Newsbusters. Curtis, thanks for joining us today. No problem, Stacey. So let's talk about that speech last night. What'd you think? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The media coverage just, uh, you know, again, it's it's almost become predictable at this point that these people are just going to lose their minds. Okay. So... I saw the reactions last night because so I was at a friend's house who she has all the cable, like all of it. She has all the channels. She even has that TiVo thing that you can rewind live television. So we just had a ball last night. It was like the Super Bowl, but for conservative chicks with Brie and they were drinking wine and it was it was super fun. Um, I, I thought that it was like they watched a different speech, especially Van Jones's comments. He sounded almost deranged which he's normally a little more even keeled even though he's somewhat of a marxist right exactly compared to some other people that they have at cnn but let me just read this quote i see it very differently because he was talking about rick santorum about reaching the president's attempts to reach across the aisle yesterday Mm -hmm. i see it very differently 
I saw the speech as psychotically as a psychotically incoherent speech with cookies and dog poop. He tried to put together in the same speech these warm kind of things about humanitarianism and caring about children. At the same time, he is demonizing people who are immigrants in a way that was appalling. End quote. Well then, uh, I mean, just really, that was just—it was so crazy. What was, you know you were seeing? You had that was Van Jones. You had uh, people just you know you had Brian Williams upset that the president was talking graphic in graphic terms about abortion. Um, you know, it was it, it was so weird. You know, you had the CBS this morning crew on Colbert talking about how they were disturbed by the president talking about the wall. Um, John King on CNN upset that they didn't talk about climate change. Um, I mean, there were just so many things wrong last night. We really, those of us that were here late last night working for Newsbusters, we could go, we could do no wrong when it came to deciding what we wanted to write about. I- I don't know what the atmosphere must have been like over there at Newsbusters, but you guys have a really fun crew, so I can imagine you guys laughing a little bit at the... I mean, I just, like, what... Dog poo and cookies? What are... Like, what does that even mean? That's not an analogy I know. How did he think of that? Right. How did he come up with those two things? Was he trying to come up with, like, you know, the... You know, when you try to think of passwords, you try to think of a bunch of random things to throw together Mm -hmm. as a password. For stuff like your bank account, I don't know. Uh, it, it was just so bizarre. You know, you had uh, you had that, and then it was again. You would just and contrast that with what you saw, how the media reacted to the Stacey Abrams speech, which was you know, horrible. Energetic. It was just it was, bad. Yeah, you had the crowd behind her, which was really weird. But they mm-hmm. were like fuzzy in the background, and they didn't clap or anything. They clapped, I mean, until the end. I mean, it was it was just like really kind of weird, you know. But meanwhile, NBC also said that the Trump speech was incoherent when he wasn't talking about the wall, and then when it came to Stacey Abrams, they were all saying, you know, she let she let the Republicans get away with the shutdown. She let them have it. Um, you know, Andrea Mitchell was saying she was a very effective speaker who scolded the president, and she made a really important statement about the shutdown. Who, and then she added that she hit a lot of strong points. Mm. Um, again, it's, I mean, it's just completely different worlds, like two different planets that we're on. Um, you know, again, it's, it's just such a mess here. And you you have people last night on MSNBC, you know, Jason Johnson saying that, you know, Stacey Abrams did win that election. It's just that the Republicans cheated, of course. Uh, so, you know, somehow the actual governor of Georgia was giving the response last night. Um, again, it's just, <laughs> right. I, I, I have no idea how, like, again, again, it's just crazy. Okay. So there's so much to talk about. And, and so you guys sent out a thing this morning, which is how I was able to connect up with you and, and you know, snag you for the show this afternoon. And thank you for that. Um, I, I was looking down your list of like, cause you guys had so much, it was, it was like a buffet of awesome followed by a buffet of crazy of the state of the union. And then the response by Stacey Abrams and I'll give her that she was a strong speaker. You know, like if you look at the, the marks of someone who's speaking well, her delivery was good. The, the backdrop was weird. It actually lit her in a way that was almost like there was a weird glow around the edges of her. Like she'd been cut and pasted into the frame, but be that as it may, she, for, for what she had to share, if you ignore the content, she delivered it well. But there's something more to it than that, which was her insistence on acting as if she was, uh, I don't want to say worthy, but of the stature to scold the president. Like she made those remarks and they knew she was going to make the remarks. I'm sure they had a copy of her speech beforehand. And they termed her criticism of some of what President Trump discussed as a scolding. Well, only people who scold you are people who are above you. So parents scold kids, you know, teachers scold kids, um, a boss can scold an employee. Why would they use that terminology between a failed gubernatorial candidate who is just now becoming nationally prominent and the president of the United States? Well, I think it goes back to the point that Democrats are still struggling to find someone to be the face of their party after the 2016 election. You know, they want to beat up on President Trump, but for like it or not, you know, even never Trumpers will admit that, you know, he is the head of the Republican Party. No question about it. Um, They're on certain issues. There may be different leaders, but overall, because he's the president, he's the leader of the party. 
Um, and Mari Gay from the New York Times, editorial board member in the 1 a.m. Eastern hour last night, kind of made the point that she made that she misses Barack Obama because Stacey Abrams reminded her of, of a Democrat who was able to rally the troops and inspire hmm. them, whatever that means. Uh, right, to, but uh, conservatives. So, so, okay, I get it. I know because I, I, so if you go on Instagram, and you click on the search, you'll get a whole wide variety of different things. And sometimes as you click through, it's kind of like Facebook because they own it now. Instead of it being organic, you can find your way into like political feeds. And there are a lot of posts, surprisingly high number of posts on Instagram where it's a picture of Barack Obama or Michelle Obama. And people will post something like, I miss my president or I miss the real president or the real first family. And that that is a real mantra and refrain that goes on on the left side of the political aisle. And it goes back to them kind of worshiping him as opposed to seeing him as the president. So I get that. But last night was an opportunity for whoever was the rebuttal to the State of the Union to present the case to Americans who were literally waiting to watch the response on why the president was wrong. I don't think she accomplished that, if, if that was what she was supposed to be there to do. Well, you hit on it before that, yeah, she, her, her entire gist was kind of trying to say that she was above the fray. She was holier than thou, you know, that, um, again, taking the Obama approach of trying to make it, you know, trying to argue, make the point that, you know, I'm not, I'm not political. I'm just, I'm just saying how it is. I'm just saying, you know, this is the America that there should be, um, you know, there's no left or right in everything else. You know, we're all Americans, togetherness, John Kasich talk, kind of. Why can't we all get along? But but then when you look at the words that they're actually saying and the policies that they're proposing, it's socialism. It's exactly mm-hmm. what the president was talking about last night and denouncing. But you now have a situation where the Democrats and news media um, and all the liberal allies are basically saying, well, yeah, guess what? You're You're darn right. We are socialists. <laughs> um, it, Which is not a like, winning oh formula. Oh my gosh! Oh, come on, guys! Uh, it, but, but we're going to win. Well, you know what about Venezuela? Oh, you know Chris Matthews uh, and Politico, and I think a few others doing this today. They and last night they were like, no, 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 no. That's just that. That you know, socialism is like Chris Matthews made the argument that it's basically like state. There's different kinds of socialism. There's different countries with socialism, and there are ones that work, and there are ones that don't work. Just like how. Uh, I was not alive. I, again, I've, I've been on the show. I'm a younger person in my 20s, so I was not <laughs> co- cogent for this. But I've been told that that was the argument that people would be making in favor of the Soviet Union or in favor mm-hmm. of communism, mm-hmm. in favor of communism, that the Soviet Union was not a good example of communism. It was the perfect uh, example. So, so here we are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it is a perfect example. Perhaps the best line President Trump has ever made was, I think, a year or two ago when he said, the problem was what's going on in Venezuela is not that socialism was implemented incorrectly. It was that it was implemented correctly. Mm. Well, I like to to liken the socialism and the descriptors that are added to it that are supposed to make it okay as me saying, so Curtis, which kind of cancer would you like pancreatic or cancer of the brain? And if you say, well, I don't want any cancer. No, no, no. It's okay for you to have cancer. It just needs to be a certain kind of cancer, and then you'll really like it. That's what socialism is. It's horrible Democratic no matter what socialism. you— Well, it, it, again, still socialism, so still cancer. That's the way I look mm-hmm. at it. Uh, and, exactly. I, and what's interesting about you saying that you're younger and you weren't, you know, you weren't cogent for the descriptions, it's, but it, we still have the ability, whether people are on the younger end like yourself or in the middle like myself or even older people who might just now be coming to the realization that the Democrats are leaving them behind, is that there are so many good resources for which we can look and see what happens when you have socialism. Fictional books about the time frame and historical books that, that give us the true history, real people, real names, real, real events. I wanted you to touch on um, Brian Williams saying that Trump's call for a culture of life and end to late term abortion was too graphic and a first for a national speech in his time. Why doesn't Brian Williams understand that the reason why he had to address that is because the Democrats are bringing this issue up and making it a national issue, not the president? Right, exactly. I, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's also important, as I said, Mara Gay from the New York Times bring her up again a couple hours later, reiterated that same point. So it wasn't just Brian Williams that had this idea. Uh, her argument was that 
you know, this is a very something that's very graph, you know, graphic that should only be talked about in a doctor's office or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which kind of gives it away that they know that abortion is such a gruesome procedure. Um, as for Brian Williams, he said, "quote Graphic language on abortion, a first national speech in my t- a first foreign national speech in my time." Digging it to the governor of Virginia, tied it into the scandal. The problem is the president said, yeah, to defend the dignity of every person, I'm asking Congress to pass legislation to prohibit the late-term abortion of children who can feel pain in the mother's womb. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really see what the, you know, and then talking about basically late-term abortion and infanticide. I mean, it's, you know, I saw a tweet today what the sign language, how you sign abortion. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's gruesome. It's the exact same thing. It's like a twist and then like a shoving motion. Right. Um, it just, it's horrible. Uh, and so the Democrats have been caught here. I, I just think it's absolutely stunning how they've been caught about this. Um, and they defend it by just saying, we're just talking about the health of the mother, not the life of the mother. Now we're talking about the health of the mother, the mental um, health, which, which you can basically make it mean anything, you know? Um, and again, I just think back to, we all know someone who, either has had children or was a preemie themselves. And and you just think about those people and that there's almost no emotion on the part of Democrats. All the met women in white and their uh, male colleagues on the one side of the aisle or people on television. They just talk about it with such uh, fervor when it comes to abortion and the passion that they have for killing children. But when asked about infanticide, they'll just say that, you know, you guys are just distorting this and it's ugly and none of your business. I mean, uh, it's just crazy. It's chilling. It's ghoulish. Ghoulish is is the word that I've been using a lot in the last week, week and a half. It's appropriate. Ghoulish is is something that calls to mind what we're seeing and and chilling. For me, it's chilling because so when you talk about knowing people, so one of my favorite people on on this planet who does uh, pro-life work is uh, Ryan Bomberger. And I got to hear him speak in person. I've heard him speak before, like, you know, watch the videos and stuff, but I got to hear him speak but, in person. Yeah, yeah, last year at our marriage and family conference in Tupelo. And he talked about how his parents, who he, he's biracial, um, and he was adopted by a white couple who ended up adopting a ton of kids. And he said their house was just like this fun, almost like a, you know, it's a, like a, an orphanage, but fun (laughs) because there were just so many kids that they adopted and they had such a passion for them, but he is the product of rape. His mom chose to carry him to term and give him up for adoption. And this family adopted him and loved him. He got a great education. He grew up happy and he is now married and has children of his own. And so this is a person who would not exist under the Democrats vision of what it means to be a woman in America today. And I cannot imagine this world without Ryan Bomberger. And that's not, I've never met his wife. I've never met his kids. I've only seen pictures. I, I imagine they're just fantastic. But we're just talking about him, just him. And then all the people who wouldn't be here because he's here. And they're talking about kids like Ryan Bomberger when he was a baby, that he would just be left to die or somehow snuffed out. They don't really, they don't really get specific, but we've seen the Gosnell movie. We know what it means. And it just, I just don't, I, I, I get when you're so rabid about something, you can't say this is wrong because you think it would make you lose. But about human beings, like there's got to be a point at which you say, OK, fine, I yield. I'll yield to you on this one. I'm not going to go there. There seems to be no place the Democrats won't go on this issue. Well, the problem oh, my is goodness. Ralph Northam has said it himself. He said it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. It, which was ghoulish and disgusting as well. You are fantastic, Curtis Hauk. Thank you for coming on today, Managing Editor of Newsbusters. Appreciate you. No problem, anytime. All right, talk to you again soon. That's music, which means we have one segment left of this wonderful show. And so we'll have more for you when we get back. Keep it here.
This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. What do you call killing a baby just after birth? Infanticide, and it's a federal crime to do so in America. An abortion practitioner in Philadelphia was delivering babies alive and snipping their spines. Gosnell was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. It is unthinkable that anyone would actually advocate for this to be permissible in America. Yet in Virginia, Governor Northam and State Delegate Kathy Tran both did so. Tran offered up a bill which would make it possible for a doctor to deliver and then kill a baby at the direction of the mother. The bill failed to pass by one vote. Virginians will have a choice on re-electing delegates to the State House in the fall of this year. Let's pray they vote in candidates who value life. However, Delegate Tran does care for the life of caterpillars. She submitted legislation to save them on the same day as her infanticide bill. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Holy Spirit speaks to everybody. The problem is most folks don't listen. Lonnie Poindexter. If they do listen, they don't take it to heart or they get fearful or whatever. But when you listen and act upon it, wonderful things happen. And because a man of God heard the voice of God and acted upon it, it blesses me today and you as well for listening in. Lion Chasers. Weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. Foreign Dispatch. In the U.S., it varies. In Britain, it's 70 miles an hour. France, more like 80. But among the world's rich countries, only one has roads with no speed limit. On Germany's Autobahn, the interstate-style highways that crisscross the country, you can drive as fast as you like on most of the network but perhaps not for long. Experts recruited by the German government proposing a limit as part of a package of measures aimed at cutting greenhouse gas emissions. This under pressure from the EU. Germany's transport secretary is already bristling and voicing his opposition. Why this constant micromanagement, he told a newspaper. And while an opinion poll suggests the majority of Germans are in favour, the experts are primed for pushback. A draft document saying... It'll take political deftness, diplomatic skill and a willingness to compromise to achieve the climate change goals. In London, Simon Owen, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacey on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senate Judiciary Committee should not be a theater for mischaracterizing or twisting nominees' records or views, nor should it be an avenue for persecution. You know, we've seen a growing pattern among Senate Democrats of hostility to religious faith. I I have to say I was deeply troubled a few minutes ago to hear questioning of a nominee asking your personal views on what is sinful. In my view, that has no business in this committee. Article six of the Constitution says there should be no religious test for any public office. We have also seen Senate Democrats attack what they've characterized as religious dogma. We've seen Senate Democrats attack nominees for their own personal views on salvation. I don't believe this is a theological court of inquisition. I think the proper avenue for investigation of this committee is a nominee's record. So that's Senator Ted Cruz talking after the confirmation hearing for Noemi Rao. She's been nominated by the president to serve on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and she's eminently qualified and really an excellent choice to go on that uh, court uh, to replace someone we affectionately call Justice Kavanaugh. <laughs> so uh, Cory Booker yesterday, I, I, didn't, I didn't get the audio for you because it's just so, it's so disgusting uh, the way he continually brings up homosexual sex whenever he is 
questioning nominees for anything if they're Republicans. He goes right into this tack of asking about their faith. And I, I, I'm, I'm linking these two things together. You've got Cory Booker basically implementing a religious test, and you have Ted Cruz saying it's unconstitutional for him to do so and he needs to stop it. He's making not only himself look bad, but he makes that entire Senate body look bad when he does this. And I, I did yesterday share, if you, didn't, if you missed that, the podcast are at AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. I feel like these nominees should say it's none of your business what my personal views are. My personal views are a part of my free speech, which is protected by the Constitution, and you as a senator should be censured for asking me these things. That's what they should say. You know, votes, forget about it. They should start standing on their constitutionally protected rights, and they should also say, Cory Booker says, do you approve of of same-sex marriage? What they should say is, what does it matter what I approve of? You ask me, I'm a Christian. God's word is the ultimate authority here, not me. So the bone that you pick is not with me. It's with someone greater who you will one day have to deal with. Since you brought it up, since you keep asking, why don't you reckon with the one with whom you have to deal? You have yet to address yourself to the true author and finisher of this thing you have a problem with. Is it? I'm not the problem for you, bro. I'm going to go do what I need to go do. Which brings me to... This other issue. And, and admittedly, I am one of the people who from last week, I felt really discouraged, deep down discouraged at all of this talk about infanticide and regular people who have medical degrees advocating for snuffing babies out after they're born and the lying that's been going on. That's not what we said. Yeah, it's what you said. But here's what we need to keep focused on. This is not a story that we lose. Ultimately, if you've read Revelation, you know that every single person will deal with God one-on-one at the judgment seat at some point. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't even know all of the, the, the salient details. We just know it's going to occur. And those that have advocated for the murder of babies, those who have put this forward as something that we need to accept, those individuals will deal with the Almighty. No one will escape the judgment and no one will get away with advocating for this or doing this as Gosnell did or promoting this as Planned Parenthood does, Planned Parenthood does or permitting it as some doctors have admitted that they do. No one will get away with it. So it is not for us to be discouraged or to become faint of heart at the prospect of Americans literally ripping a mask off and underneath the mask where you thought it was like a regular person, we're seeing some nasty festering pit of evil and debauchery and you're like recoiling and running away from it. And I I don't blame you. It's scary. It's absolutely frightening that we have Americans advocating for this. But God, we don't shirk our responsibility to stand against this to speak out against it, and to be firm in where we are on it because it's not anything that you wrote. I didn't write it. Nobody at American Family Radio wrote it. Nobody that's standing in a pulpit anywhere or is online preaching anywhere wrote it. The Bible is God's word, not Stacy's, not, you know, not anybody else's. It's God's word. And if you stand in opposition to it, if you're opposed to leaving God's creation alone, and not snuffing it out. If, you, if it's your job to snuff out creation, you got bigger problems than me being on the radio. You got bigger problems than me talking about how infanticide is wrong. You have bigger problems than federal law that either says you can do it or says you can't. You have bigger problems than the Supreme Court, which has been wrong and will be wrong again and has been right and may possibly be right again. You have bigger problems than who's on the Supreme Court or anywhere else because you're the one who's standing against it. Not me. So, I, you know, it's, it's not actually my specific problem, but I'm here to tell the truth about it. So if you want to know the truth, you can know it and you can get in line with it. Not my truth, what, what the word says. So speaking of being in line with what's right or what's wrong, this was another one of those moments in last night's speech that was just stellar. The president was speaking about this young man who is a border patrol agent and he's just this like he's a law keeper. He is a rescuer of women and children who are being sexually trafficked. 
an outstanding young man. And as he's talking to him, he makes a promise to the American people that he'll never stand by and allow ICE and the heroes who work there to be abolished. It's number six. Thanks to his work and that of his incredible colleagues, more than 300 women and girls have been rescued from the horror of this terrible situation. And more than 1,500 sadistic traffickers have been put behind bars. We will always support the brave men and women of law enforcement. And I pledge to you tonight. So, what the president is saying there is that we have to support these people, and, and these people being ICE, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. These, these individuals, is, many of them are Hispanic. They're uh, from you know, Latin origins, and these, they're, they're fighting this war because they care about children. They're involved in the work that they do. They're there because they want to protect people. And so there, there's a real kind of, you know, twisting of the language surrounding immigration and customs enforcement. And people want to make it so that it's something horrible that, that you know, oh, we should be so ashamed of it. Oh, it's just terrible. Uh-uh. No. Mm -mm. It's, these guys are doing good work. They're in law enforcement. They're trying to enforce the laws that are on the books, constitutional the laws that have stood the test of time about how you are allowed to enter this country and to protect women and children who are being trafficked uh, and, and to stop the drug cartels. And I renew my call. There's anyone who listens to this show who also speaks to the president or anyone on his staff that the drug cartels should be declared terrorist organizations as uh, David Horowitz, Daniel Horowitz over at uh, Conservative Review has written in his op-ed over there. Declare them terrorist organizations so that you can use everything at our disposal to stop them. Stop, stop it where it starts instead of waiting until they send their MS-13 here and then trying to deal with it here. Deal with it where they are. Kind of like what we do in the Middle East, which, again, I'm, the nation building, it's so over. Like 20, 2012 called and they want their nation building back. We got to let that go. We got to let that go. Um, so thank you for being here today. I have just a couple more things I want to talk about. Um, so we remember when we were talking about Bernie Sanders and his red face, um, we've, we've seen this before the self-described democratic socialists, him and, um, Ocasio-Cortez, which we didn't get to pan to her face when the president was making this statement, but it's Bernie Sanders who has really made socialism palatable on the left. And what we have to do is we have to reject it out of hand. And we have, because I, I know some Democrats who are older, who I've talked to before, you know, about this subject of the socialism. And whenever I say, Hey, you know, I know we disagree on a ton of stuff, but can I ask you about the socialism? Like, are you, are you down with that? They always say, no, we're not for socialism. Everybody knows socialism leads to communism. These are Democrats who say this. So this new wing of the party that wants to take control, it's not as if the rank and file Democrats are actually down with the socialism. It's that they've got these really loud squeaky wheels and Nancy Pelosi is just trying to keep all the spinning tops from bursting out of the corral. She's just trying to keep all the, the she's trying to keep the bag of crazy inside the bag, the, the crazy cats. She's trying to keep them in the bag. And they're scratching each other's eyes out, but as long as she can keep them all contained in the bag so they can vote together, then she thinks she can make some headway. It's ridiculous, but, you know, what are you going to do? I'm also going to post, and maybe we'll share a little bit of it, uh, our new senator, the junior senator from the state of Missouri, Josh Hawley, had some very, very strong remarks on the floor of the Senate. He was talking about infanticide and abortion, and I want to share a little bit of that with you, but I'm, I'm previewing that for you for tomorrow. Um, I'm going to do my best to have that as something that we can check out tomorrow. And so overall, I know we've been kind of assessing the speech. I think it was really interesting that we had callers today who said they know real life living Democrats who were, you know, swung over, swayed by the president's presentation last night. 
I think it's really interesting. They didn't show very many live shots of the uh, Supreme Court justices, just a couple. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not there. Uh, a number of other justices weren't there, I think, kind of standing in solidarity with with her, you know, so they had four there, five were, were not there. Um, they did pan over to their faces when the president was talking about abortion and, and uh, ooh, a couple of them, they looked pretty, pretty disgusted and not in the way like you and I are disgusted. But there's, there's all, there's all of that going on. But the true deadline that we're approaching here, it's the 6th of February. Um, the deadline is the 15th. The 15th is when they have to come up with something. And I just think it was so brilliant that the president did not declare a national emergency last night at the State of the Union. He used the State of the Union address to do what State of the Union addresses are meant to do, which is to discuss the state of our union and to give the American people an opportunity to hear directly from the president and to offer what he felt were solutions. Um, 76% approval on that speech is a game changer. The president's approval rating overall just before he gave the speech had actually went up to 48%. And I, I, I hate to say it because I'm not a tinfoil hat wearer, but I do think some of what we're seeing with the approval rating for the president is it's intended to depress his base and to encourage the Democrats. Um, so it was a real interesting thing that he is so able to to work a crowd like what we saw with him and the democrats last night where the democrats couldn't help themselves they had to stand up even the image that i've shared on facebook where nancy pelosi is basically offering the president president fake claps she's clapping and pointing at him in the same like at the same time in other words oh you think you did something and she's clapping in a very sarcastic way it has become an image that has been shared all over the place. And um, it's very petty of her to treat him that way, especially when if, if the, she was on the other foot and he was the Speaker of the House and she was giving the speech as the president and he clapped at her that way, she would say that was misogyny and sexism. You see how that it's like this this cudgel that only works for for Democrats. You, you never see them say, wow, you know, Nancy, that was kind of disrespectful that you were clapping at him like that why couldn't you just hold the office she says he's petty but look how she behaves another thing that was really interesting about last night um was that the numbers fox news had 11.1 million viewers nbc 7.1 million cbs 6.7 million abc 5.9 million fox local fox sinclair had 4.2 million msnbc had 3.8 million and CNN had 3.4 million. That's a lot of Americans. I mean, that's a lot of Americans who um, took time out of their evening. And I love that it was an hour, you know, so give or take an hour of your time to just turn it on. You don't have to watch, just listen. I love that Americans are being uh, informed. So apparently the president has announced that his first rally of 2019 will be held in El Paso, Texas. I'm pretty sure he's going to talk a lot about border security and what that means to Texans. I'm really happy that he's having a rally. Can't wait to see what that's going to be about. Okay, we're back with you tomorrow. God bless you. Have a fantastic evening. And thanks for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.